We'd just love to build more of a space where people can come, hopefully seasonally, and truly connect with every fibre in their body or, you know, every, every beauty that they have. This is Brave New Girl podcast and we share real stories with real impact. I'm your host Lou Hamilton and I'm a filmmaker, author and artist and passionate about storytelling for making a positive difference in the world. Your story matters. It tells of who you are and why you do what you do in the service of others. And my guests bring you their stories, their highs and lows and courage gained along the way. Join us for the ride. My guest this week is Sandra Wright, who went from extreme adrenal burnout to recalibrating her life and becoming a bravery coach to encourage stressed out individuals juggling busy careers, teams and personal lives to balance emotional well-being in order to communicate successfully and find fulfillment from within. Welcome, Sandra, to Brave New Girl podcast. I'm very excited to talk to you and to your business partner, Laura Dana, who will be in next week's podcast. I got to know you at a retreat that you and Loredana run and we're going to talk a bit about your side of that retreat later on. But first of all, I think with everybody the last few years we've we've all learned something about ourselves, the good, the bad and the ugly. For you, you've talked to me before about that you've kind of released toxic relationships addiction expectations and that you found your creative you the artist in you so can you talk a bit about that please yeah thank you I guess uh, I've been an extrovert all my life and uh, I sort of like found myself unemployed literally just as the uh, pandemic kicked in so being shut away and and life choices I'd made about living on my own um, was really difficult. I I really struggled with the the isolation, but also suddenly I was very aware how I'd numbed out this sense of loneliness for most of my adult life, and suddenly I guess the the distractions, the coping mechanisms that I'd interweaved through life, weren't there. They weren't readily available. So. I had to sit with those emotions which were really uncomfortable which ordinarily I'd have you know sort of found a way to to ignore them to avoid them slightly and straight away I sort of thought right how can I be of use and and everybody was in this complete mayhem of of chaos and I think everybody was trying to find their own way through and I sort of deemed myself useless so it was it was quite re- it was it was really it was really messy and really ugly but it was also quite quite refreshing to have to sit there almost having an exorcist if you like uh, of going cold turkey um, and realizing that how I'd lived and, and coped before wasn't really intuitive to who I was. What had that looked like in terms of relationships and addiction I guess I'd I'm from a dysfunctional upbringing I'm a typical sort of like you know child of the 70s where the family um, were divorced and an absent father Uh, I've never really had a a very particular nurturing relationship with with my um, my family as far as like a significant other in my life I never really invested heavily in them I guess uh, I didn't realize I didn't 
productively work at looking for love in the right places. Uh, I guess it was to do a little bit of um, not wanting to be too attached because people had a tendency to let you down. A lot of what I was attracted to was probably that dysfunctionality as well. People that probably, you know, parted to excess. I'd had a, I wouldn't say I had an addictive personality with alcohol, but it certainly helped me. But I was very much an adrenaline junkie. I, I, I went for pursuits that were high risk. I was a bit of a daredevil and I really had no regard to whether or not um, I hurt myself in the process. I was very careful not to hurt others, but whether or not I was hurting myself in the process. You went on to become an emotional well-being coach and, and before we sort of go into that, I'd like to, to understand a bit about how you were as a child and whether when you look back at her, you can see both the creative side, but also those urges for adrenaline, but on the other side, the the more kind of nurturing and sort of emotional caring side of you that you maybe weren't getting yourself as a child. Yeah, so reflecting as a, as a kid, I was, I was pretty, you know, easygoing and I was quite creative in that I was, could invent things and, and perform quite well. I don't think there's sort of like the adrenaline rush, that need for excitement was was ever present. But I guess because I wasn't getting any sense of attachment from the family unit, I used to go in search of areas that, that made me feel happy and had a tendency to, to seek out neighbours that had animals or dogs, do dog walking or, or run off to the nearby stables. And, you know, much of my my pleasure time much of my happy days were around animals I I was very sporty as well but I wasn't really ever celebrated or recognized at what I could do so I guess because nobody really had my back was there a, a an aspiring athlete in there that could have done some more so I only ever really got to sort of county level with any of the sports that um I I represented I think I just probably kept an emotional distance away from anything that could potentially suffocate me or hurt me in some way. And um, through releasing maybe my angst or my disappointment through sport or getting that unconditional love from animals probably kept me on a, a pretty even keel, really. So I'd say when I entered into my teens, I was probably quite well adjusted given circumstances. And then when you left home and went out into the world and you you went you got into retail management and and you described yourself as sort of adventurous and likable and memorable <laughs> um and escapism was was the the thing your kind of maybe drug of choice. So what did that look like until you were stopped in your tracks? Well, it was a means of escaping for sure. It sort of pushed me and accelerated my career very quickly it opened up variation in in different tasks and it gave, probably gave me a good grounding of what I presupposed how we uh, how we needed to function to fit in into into the world into the working world it was it was fairly formulaic within retail management the variety came from going to different um, locations every six months you get relocated and I guess people had to 
to listen to you a little bit as well. I guess my approach is that, um, you know, being within the management team, uh, you were there to sort of like, you know, set the course of direction slightly. But there was, I, was I passionate about it? Possibly because it gave me a means to do other things. And those means became things like, you know, traveling across the world, hurling myself down a mountain on a set of skis, learning, you know, scuba diving in in lovely locations around the world. So I I sort of bought into that career lifestyle purely because it was a means to an end. Um, But was I truly happy? I don't know, really. I didn't really stop to assess where I was going. Got my head turned by quite a few sales representatives that would come into store. And again, I think it was just bringing together things that that did spark my interest, like um, a means of seeing somewhere different every day, meeting different people. I I sort of thought, right, okay, I'm going to go into sales. And um, very early on in my career, I worked for some of the major breweries. So there were heavily masculine environments. I had to have a lot of challenging conversations being a woman selling beer for a living. But I was up for the challenge and it it did sort of like shape the sort of the the 20-year-old woman that I became really. And my motto was anything a man can do, I can, you know, double down on it and, you know, and magnify it even more. So you were working very hard and very often we don't, really take notice of any little messages that our bodies send up to us and so the messages get louder and clearer and uh, more dramatic and and you did have a series of big messages that the the universe or your body or or circumstances kind of threw at you and so can you talk about what those were and and how you came through that and what you learned from it yeah sure so um I guess one was falling like quite quickly in love with somebody but not realizing it actually wasn't probably the healthy type of love that makes a good marriage and and marrying somebody really quickly and mistaking the way that they treated me as love when it was probably you know uh, some kind of narcissism on their part and then this sort of like need for energy and this need to constantly feel alive. I just became a mind on legs really, running at a million miles an hour. I was sort of like, you know, doing high energy exercise. And um, my downtime, my relaxation was, was active relaxation. I never really stopped. And just one day, just entered the M6 motorway at Manchester and just accelerated at speed and within a moment, A car just came across my path and within seconds I was ploughed into the central reservation and they say that your life just goes before you when that happens. I knew that wasn't the end of me but I actually catastrophized thinking oh my gosh this is this is my legs damaged now and all those things that I used them for and and relied on them for that sort of steady foundation and and the the sort of sport that I loved I thought there, this is about to be taken away. And I guess I'd never really feared driving before. And suddenly just you come, you know, frontline and centre in touch with your own mortality and how we can get snubbed out in a second. And then you went on to have a post-concussive um, syndrome for, as a result of being in a training room 
yeah, faffing around, making sure it looked perfect, the environment was lovely, and too busy thinking 10, 20 steps ahead, I'd completely uh, forgotten there was a 50-inch screen monitor above my head and just stood up and cracked my head um, and fell down like a, a sack of potatoes. But just carried on regardless for two days delivering a training course. And then, I, ironically, that was in Manchester as well. I've got, uh, I do love Manchester still, but every time I'm there, something befalls. Left and travelled down, and I remember getting to Oxford Services sobbing, thinking I feel very not right what is going on and almost saying to the car please get me home safe and just having to rely on yourself and inanimate objects around you because you know you'd, you'd created this life where you were on your own doing it and being you know fiercely independent so yes there was some um, some real things sent by the universe to stop me in my tracks for sure did you take those and look at them and go okay something is telling me something here I need to change the way that I do things and move forward or did it still take you a bit of time for, for the message to get through yeah no not at all I carried on as soon as I physically repaired off I set again and by this time I'm sort of like you know heading towards sort of uh, 50 and thinking I'm going to be in the best shape ever that uh, when I hit 50. And I just started experiencing pain from within my body. In fact, it was in a yoga class. I was, I just couldn't stretch out my hip flexors. And, and, and I just remember the yoga teacher saying there's something emotionally going on there. You know, it's, it's not your physical hip. There's some emotion and thinking, what on earth is she talking about? And, and being a bit of a, um, a person that's always curious about things started sort of thinking what is she on about and researching those areas so I think once I started to go down that rabbit hole of exploration of what do they mean about this emotional connection I started to realize that I was emotionally inept I had you know detached myself in a way to stop myself getting attached so much so that I literally had stopped being being human, stopped being, you know, who I was. I was just performing for everybody else. It sort of sounds like you were a, a machine that was hurtling towards the edge of the, the cliff and and it was only when the machine started to default that that you were able to kind of stop and or forced to stop and, and look at things more deeply. I've just finished a book by Gabor Mate called When the Body Says No. And and he talks exactly about that, that that when things start going wrong, that that it, it's the sort of emotional underlying traumas or stresses that that are because the only way that they, your body can talk to you is is through pain. What did that make you do when you started to think, actually, yes, my body is telling me something here. I do need to change. Yeah, I, I guess the the complexity of understanding your needs and realizing that we don't always fit into neat boxes and how we've always presented ourselves is a big wake-up call isn't it that life is incredibly messy I actually um, sought medical help which I didn't do very often either and it was the doctor saying look I'm worried about you if you're not and 
in the meantime, while I was sort of just trying to fathom out and thinking I'm going to get through this on my own because that's what I've always done, I started self-medicating with just Nurofen painkillers, but I was literally, they became my equivalent of, of my morning coffee. I'd just literally pop Nurofen every day. And it was miraculous. The, the pain, you know, got masked again. But then in the training room, once again, things were starting to manifest within my body and the the pain when I'd I literally would travel 200 miles and then get to a destination deliver a course and then travel 200 miles more and stay overnight I'd be in A&E till two three in the morning trying to get to the root cause of what's going on what's this pain and then checking myself out saying I haven't got time for this I've got clients arriving you know in five hours and I, I need to be ready and to the point that one day I just hemorrhaged while I was in the midst of training and having to excuse myself from what could be a, a very debilitating situation, thinking, uh, okay, there's some evidence that something's not right now. So as much as my body was screaming out, I just turned the volume down on it massively. At what point did you stop and accept that that the messy business of emotional exploration was about to begin and that you were going to have to partake fully in this thing that you'd not really had any ex experience of in your life before because you'd been so adept at pushing that under the lid yeah I was doing I decided to start doing some mindless <laughs> activities rather than mindful activities and one of those is that the the apartment that I bought that was supposed to be my little sort of bolt hole sanctuary I decided I was going to color it you know to suit me and I I was painting the walls this really rich color and um, I was meticulous in how I'd done it and masked every bit of white so that the the colors didn't bleed and I was really happy with the result and I was going out that evening and just before I went out, I was just admiring my work and I looked up and there was the tiniest bit of masking tape that I'd forgotten. And I remember jumping onto, it was the bedroom, I jumped onto the bed and then just rested onto the bedside cabinet with my foot to pull off the masking tape and the next thing I was flat on my back. I'd done some damage to my knee and then realising, okay, it's enough now, what is going on? So I started to see some specialists. The long and short of it was that I had been living, my threat system rather, had been living in a stressed out state for so long. I had an inflammatory disorder and my ligaments had been affected. So my knees were stretched and then I'd, you know, a freak accident would do so much damage. But even more so, the hip pain when I actually took the time to to investigate or go with a specialist to investigate what was going on turned out that I had a, sus a suspected disease in my uterus which deemed that that was five times bigger than it should have been so you know suddenly it all made sense to why there was all this pain on all the other regions within that I could have probably just changed a lot of things and and maybe being kinder and slow down. But in the way of how I'd always dealt with things that didn't serve me, i.e. these toxic areas, I just said, right, let's 
let's cut them out. So I had a hysterectomy, but also um, had the bits of the knee that were offending cut away too. So literally did slow me down, completely slowed me down for six months. But you can't cut out emotional no so uh, complexity. So so what at what point did you then face that? Well, a couple of years before, I do believe there's always a deeper calling if you tune into it. And um, I had gone on a weekend development course, which was headed by neuroscientists. And if I had my time again, I think I probably would be a psychotherapist. I'm just fascinated now with what makes us behave in such a way that we're prepared to do ourselves so much damage. And the retreat was all about moving forward. And I remember realizing I had so many blockages and obstacles in the way of moving forward that this development part of what I was supposed to get out of it was just so foggy. Um, I I just didn't know how I was going to, you know, navigate my way forward. So I left with even more sort of self-doubt rather than development. And then how these things have a, a way of working. Just one day into my feed came an offer of a competition to get a reduced uh, rate to train um, as an emotional well-being coach and within my work by now I'd, I'd ascended into doing a lot more coaching and mentoring with teams and it just it just spoke to me and I entered and lo and behold got a place I went through this the actual course as a client and then did the self-mastery And when I did the self-mastery, I just thought, oh my gosh, I need help. How am I ever going to support others emotionally when I can't support myself? So it was all about taking that step backwards, getting lost a little bit in order to move forward. And that help came in the shape of talking therapy. My traits were still there. I was impatient. You know, um, I wanted instant results. It didn't happen. It felt uncomfortable as well. I didn't feel as if I was worthy of of having these woes and worries. And I just probably wasn't ready to change at that point. But then what the pandemic then did, suddenly I thought, "What, what is the reason I'm here to do? What can I do with this emotional coaching? And I remember reading or hearing this such sad news about Caroline Flack and thinking goodness me there's a person on the outside world that looks like they've got all of their shit together and you know there's a wonderful cluster of people around them but still felt there was only one option and I just got really curious about you know the link between mental and emotional health I started doing a lot of healing work on myself and thinking about little me again, which is a lot of what I was, you know, taught on on my retreat when I was doing the emotional well-being about healing your inner child. And I started to remember all these, you know, the joy that I had when there was little me seeking out these animals. And as I was building up my network in mental health, one day just, you know, there was a a litter of puppies being taken into a workplace just to give people respite in their lunch hour. And it's that moment, isn't it, where your heart just leaps out of your body. 
the the only other time I'd ever had it ironically was on the the retreat as well when I was training where they'd make us bathe in the morning in a lock at six o'clock you know initially I was like yeah I'll see you at eight o'clock when I come round but actually feeling your heart beating in your body and thinking oh my god this is what it this is what it's like to feel you know have have those senses and those emotions so I just started joining the dots then thinking how can I work with animals and in mental health and with this emotion how can I help other people that may have been lost that talking theory probably doesn't feel right for them you know just maybe take that step backwards to push them forward how do you do that with your with your partner Loredana she she is more the sort of horse side of things and we'll we'll talk with her um in the episode next week but you bring something else to the retreat that's very unique to you and to your experience and so can you explain a bit about that and how it helps people yeah sure so I love animals and dogs are my big thing but I've always been in wonder of horses in my adrenal days it was like cantering along or galloping along on a beach at full pelt and just like you know just feeling the elements and your muscles aching in your body but I happened upon um, a psychologist that was using horses to help people with neurodiversity and I was really curious but then I thought goodness me that's well out of my realms as I was walking down with this new sort of ideas of how I would work with animals walking down the high street it was during lockdown there was a horse um, in a housing association and so I automatically just stopped and had this conversation with the horse and it sort of like acknowledged me and I was like well, this is interesting and um, I started researching and, and found all, all about equine assisted work and there was also a strand which was ex, equine assisted coaching so I, I studied in that for a year and a half and um, and qualified as an equine practitioner but I didn't have any horses so um, I went on a quest to to find a beautiful space where people could drop in and connect with their emotions and probably have those really deep conversations that nobody's ever given them the space to hear before and have that visibility the other thing that I realized was they hold a mirror up to us and this this method this platform of, of podcasting is wonderful for me because I still can't cope with looking at myself in the mirror it's really quite awkward that you know when you when you don't have that love for yourself looking at yourself is the last thing that you want to do and so I, I sort of like I guess I just reached out into a network saying look I'm looking for a space where this can be possible um, I don't have horses but um, I'd like to complement someone in some way with what their offering is and um, Laura Donna reached out to me she'd should I'd get her to tell her story in her own words but through her own journey she'd created this magical space in Hertfordshire where I, I was sort of assessing it as I was going around thinking how can I deliver the sort of training and courses and that I do here but seeing something so much richer in oh my goodness this is exactly a place where I would benefit where I would love to bring 
other midlife adults, women, people that are lost, people that are burnt out, lost themselves just to reconnect, to to breathe again in the open space. So I just fell in love with the place and 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 the horses as well. The there was a, a two horses here at the time. We had a, a, a beautiful older horse called Mayo who I just saw so much of myself in. And um I just sort of said to her have you ever thought about approaching it from this angle so we I guess I'd sort of like became a little bit of the influencer of helping her see this beautiful space and and how we could take that forward and, and build these retreats I'm forever grateful that you know our paths crossed really because with without her coming forward I probably wouldn't be working with horses as closely as I do now with everything you've experienced and with the, I want to say uh, business, but it's it's so much more than a business that you, you've got together with these incredible retreats. If you had the chance to sort of rip up everything and start again and build something that is really unique and helps people in their emotional well-being, what's your vision for the future with what you're doing with Loredana? Yeah. I guess it's about ideally we we're very aligned with whom we want to bring this offer to. We're incredibly passionate about midlife women especially or the feminine energy. And I I keep convincing her to to try and sell me some land because I'd love to build almost this like high beautiful barn space where you know you can just sit and see the horses slightly more and maybe have a herd. But I guess it's just it's just building that collective really. Like she's she does a an amazing job in, in the work that she does on a day to day basis. But we'd we'd just love to, to build more of a space where people can come hopefully seasonally and really sort of like reconnect with themselves again. You know, hold that mirror up just to appraise yeah there I am that's where I'm going this is what I'm all about and and truly connect with every fiber in their body or you know every every beauty that they have to help them drop out of of their head a little bit more and um, just reconnect with that heart space really and with that in mind how do you define courage for me it's sort of saying yes and then sort of like seeing what comes up. The hysterectomy left me really sort of like low on confidence. I think your hormones just go into turmoil. And for some mad reason, Loredana just said to me one day, no, I need a holiday. Will you look after the horses for me? And I was like, I was screaming yes inside, but my head was going, who do you think you are? You haven't looked after horses for 20 years. But just saying yes and waving her off and then thinking, okay, boys, it's just me and you. And, you know, looking after her, her prized possessions for, 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 for a week was, it gave me every ounce of my courage back, you know, in bucket loads and everything. So I guess it is about, you know, not overthinking it, saying yes, stepping into the void sometimes and just being prepared to experience something a little different. You did go from burnout to bravery. I feel that bravery is sort of, 
it's like the yin and yang isn't it of fear and courage that it's sort of that both are mixed in it it's not that you are fearless as a brave person or with a brave outlook or attitude the the fear is part and parcel yeah totally and it's a motivator for me still I've I've you know don't get me wrong I'm still working progress I have days where I'm a mess you know and but I just realize now they're sort of emotions coming from beliefs I make friends with them I invite them in you know those those fears that I have that wake me up I'm curious about okay what's going on here and and start to treat them with kindness and love and through that I've learned to love myself so much more Thank you so much, Sandra, for sharing how we can be brave to break free from what's not working for us and learn to live more balanced lives. Thank you so much. You're doing a fantastic job. I urge everybody to go and and experience your retreats. They are absolutely beautiful and life-changing. Thank you, Luz. And thank you for joining, Son. It was a pleasure working with you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Sandra, for showing us the power of nature to lead us back to ourselves and our own true nature. You can find out more about Sandra's work on www.sandrawright.co.uk and follow her on LinkedIn at Sandra Wright. Thank you, Brave New Girl Media, for producing and sourcing the guests for the show. And to you for listening. I hope today's story inspires you to step into the spotlight and show how you too are positively impacting the world. Take care, choose courage, and see you next time.